Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us on this Tuesday. As always, the podcast is brought to you by Blue Water Climate Control. And don't forget that they've got their special going on right now. That's they're giving away free furnaces. That's right. If you've got a 100-year-old heating unit, an air unit uh, with a ridiculous electric bill, Blue Water Climate Control is giving away 20 furnaces or air handlers with complete system installs. Now's the time to get a new heating and air unit. Customers have saved as much as $1,000. To get the offer, all you need to do is call 865-299-2290 or go to bluewaterclimatecontrol.com to book online. They'll come out and give you a quote on your new American Standard Heating and Air System. They're only giving away 20 during February only, so we better hurry and check that out today. That's at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. All right, guys, let's dive into this coaching staff. Tennessee finally has a defensive coordinator. Your thoughts on the hire? of Tim Banks as Tennessee's defensive coordinator? I mean, I, I don't know how Rob feels. I mean, I, I think it's too early to tell. I mean, the guy's been a part of some successful staffs. He's coached in some, some I think, some really good stops, Brent. Um, you know, uh, how will he fare being the guy? I don't think anybody knows. He could be way better than advertised. You know, you know, maybe the job could be big, too big for him. I don't think we'll know until, you know, the, the spotlight kind of shines on him in the fall. But, you know, you talk to enough people, you, you find out real quick how much he's respected out there and the fact that people just think he's just a solid football coach. And, you know, I, I think that bodes well in the short term. But as far as like when, you know, what it's going to be like once he actually starts calling the defense, I don't think any of us know. I, I think we're all kind of, you know, just kind of in the dark on that until he actually does it. From a resume standpoint, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I like the fact that he's coming from an upper tier power five job. I mean, he's not, you know, it's not the SEC, but, you know, Penn State plays with the big boys. He knows what it's like to recruit against powerhouse programs like Michigan, Ohio State in your conference. You know, he, he gets that. I mean, goes back a long, long way, almost two decades, but also, you know, was was in Memphis for a couple of years. Now, I don't know if he still has any relationships there, but he at least knows, you know, the lay of the land in that city, what recruiting's like there. But the, the biggest plus for me is the kind of program he's coming from. And it's not going to be, there's not going to be a learning curve to understand the pressure that comes with, you know, coaching at a place like this and how, how hard you have to work to get elite talent. Yeah. I mean, it, obviously his reputation as a recruiter is very good. And, and you mentioned his experience that he's had at the power five level, I think says a lot, but Austin also, and, and, and Rob, I'm not saying you disagree with Austin, but I agree. You know, we, we've seen guys who are projected to be the home run hire, um, and I mentioned this in the chat, who turned out to be a bad fit. Bob Shoup comes to mind. I mean, everybody uh, was gaga over Bob Shoup, and it didn't work. You know, Mike DeBoard was a guy that people scoffed at and laughed at. And, and swim was, coach. Yeah, swim coach who was highly successful. So uh, it's not a cop-out answer, but, but you know, we've seen some guys who have, who have been able to come here um, and, and, you know, do very well regardless of their background. We've seen some guys who you would think would be an absolute home run and it didn't work out that way. And that's just, that's, that's the deal. And, and, and again, that's why everybody keeps asking, like, was this forced on somebody or this? Listen, if, if Josh Heupel was forced to hire somebody, that's bad on Josh Heupel because there's your, your butts in the sling on the, on this stuff. Okay. I mean, you better be, you better be hiring the guy that you think can win this job. That's why I think this is Josh Heupel's hire. I think Josh Heupel believes that, that Tim Banks can, can do this job, and, and that's why Tim Banks is a defensive coordinator here today. And if, he's, and if that's not the case, if I'm wrong, then 
Um, I, I think that's a red flag. That would be a big red flag towards Josh Heupel at this point, because again, it's his, it's his contract. It's his salary. It's his rear end. that's on the line with this deal. My thing is, is, you know, talking, going back to the success of all this is, you know, how complex is it? You know, I mean, like, it, there were times where I think that Bob Shoup was too complex and, and, and the, the kids on that team couldn't grasp it, you know, cause Bob Shoup really has been kind of successful everywhere he's been, um, you know, except for Tennessee. I mean, he was a train wreck here and the complete opposite, you know, Jeremy Pruitt and company. I think if you ask most people around college football, they would talk about what kind of defensive minds they are and, 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 you know, the, the job they do defensively, they couldn't stop, anything across the middle of the field this year at all and never had an adjustment for it. And, and, and I'm not saying that like they didn't try, I'm just saying like they couldn't figure out how to get it adjusted. So like, you know, if, you know, if to me, like a lot of this goes back to complexity, like if this is a player friendly defense where you just kind of let players be players and you don't, you know, stun it up too much, um, you know, who knows, maybe this, this defense has more success than people think. Well, it's a, it's a great point. I think the other thing with that too, Rob, is sometimes your complexity comes out of default because you don't have the Jimmys and Joes that you need yeah, to have to line, up, to line up and win with something. Uh, I mean, in, in, let's, use, let's use John Jancic as an example. With his defenses at Tennessee, I, I don't know that they would be perceived as the most complex, but when you've got you know the, the all-time sack leader coming off the edge for you, suddenly how you call things defensively is a little bit different as well. I, I think both Bob Shoup uh, was too complex, even with talent, because he had Derek Barnett. Uh, but I think Jeremy Pruitt was too complex. And I think some of that was they were trying to hide some things that maybe they didn't have from a talent standpoint. So there's an interesting balancing act of scheme versus talent and, and how you handle that moving forward. But it better not be too complex because I, I just don't think you can get away with that, you, you know, and have any kind of early success. Yeah, I agree. And and it, it's going to be a balancing act because, you know, I don't see a whole lot of first or second round NFL talent on that side of the ball right now. At least, you know, if, if it is, it's unproven and we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it, it's by far, if you look at the two sides of the ball, the offense has way more upside, way more talent, way more depth than the defense does. The defense up front, I think, is okay. Uh, maybe a little better than okay. The linebackers are unproven. Even though some of the talent I think that might actually be there, it's unproven. In the secondary, I think there's a couple of solid pieces, but there's no depth in the secondary at all. I, that's why I thought Keyshawn Lawrence was far more of a loss than Eric Gray or Wanya Morris or any of those players because the secondary to me is rail thin right now. And, uh, you know, they, they need to find somebody to step up. Maybe a guy like Kenny Solomon steps up um, if they can get him off the track and uh, get him into spring practice. Yeah, I, I think it's good. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, yeah. on, on Keyshawn, I, I think that was a big loss. I'm going to be – I mean, I, as far – I'm not hating on the kid, but, I mean, he had not he had not come close to play up to his, his recruiting ranking. And I would be curious to see if Tennessee – what kind of activity they have transfer portal-wise – post-spring practice, Austin. I mean, can you know, I, I mean, the timing obviously didn't work, and, and I don't know if they could have gotten him anyway, but, you know, you, you got the, the Jones kid at linebacker at Clemson who Tennessee could never get involved in, and I, I think that would have been a huge get for Tennessee just because you don't have any bodies at that linebacker position. Yeah, and he's now at LSU. Yeah. 
I mean, the timing wasn't right because they didn't have anybody hired, but I, I think that was obviously someone who could have come in and immediately been a starter at linebacker for Tennessee just because they don't have any depth. And to further your point about the offense and defense and the offense being, you know, much better suited, it's also much better suited because the talent I think this offense has fits this offensive system that Josh Heupel wants to run, Rob. Oh, I agree. I mean, you got – I mean, they're, they're unproven, but I mean, I think everybody believes that there's talent at wide out. Um, I mean, you got to develop it. You got to integrate them into what you want to do, but there's some young guys over there that, you know, start with Jalen Hyatt that, that I think have, have some real ability, you know, at quarterback, I, you know, who knows what Harrison Bailey's going to turn into. Caden Salter looks like a fantastic prospect and you know, the Virginia tech transfer, I think gives you a safety net and lots of experience on the offensive line, even with losing one game. Yep, they certainly do. That side seems certainly better suited. And again, I think it's better suited for the style of play that Josh Heupel is, is going to have as well. So, Austin, the big question now is what does the rest of the defensive staff look like? That's, you know, in the chat on Monday night, that's rightfully, you know, everyone's question. I understand that. Um, I don't have a lot of answers on what this staff is going to look like. I think you and I have talked about it, and um, I, I agree with you that it has felt like Willie Martinez would be a guy who may ultimately end up on this staff. But it's interesting in that that Tim Banks is much more of a secondary guy than, say, an Al Washington was or Casey Rogers were, two other candidates that Tennessee talked to, or Matt House, you know, three candidates that Tennessee talked to who were not, quote, back-end guys. Banks is. Does that change anything from Willie Martinez's standpoint, you think? That's a good question. I, I want to say no, um, just because, like, I think that, you know, either way they go, I think you're going to have potentially two secondary guys. If he coordinates from the back end, then you're going to have two secondary guys because I don't think he's going to be the coordinator and coach the entire back end of the defense. If he doesn't coordinate from the back end, um, you know, I, I think it gives you more options um, it just makes more sense that he would coach safeties. Then they hire a corners coach. Maybe that is Willie. Uh, makes some sense. And then that gives them two spots left to go out and hire an inside backers coach and an outside backers coach. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now with, with where things are. You know, Nick Toth is at UCF. Um, you know, uh, he's coached outside backers and special teams. He's the spe he was high special teams coordinator down there. I just have a tough time seeing them going Martinez and Toth because ultimately that would mean that Tim Banks got to hire one guy because Rodney's already on staff. Martinez and Toth would be two more um, that were to quote unquote hypo guys and, and hires that, you know, Tim Banks really didn't make. And then it would be one spot left. I just have a feeling it's going to be Martinez or Toth. Let them, they'll, they'll figure out whichever direction they want to go. And then, two guys that Tim Banks is, is going to be heavily involved in the hiring of. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And, and I, think, I think your point about having two, two more UCF guys uh, may not be the look that they're wanting as well because that would be, I guess, six. And that doesn't include the analysts that have come aboard and obviously the recruiting staff and, and everybody else that's come aboard as well. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm not sure they would want, to, would want to go that direction. So then the question becomes – uh, what you're saying does Rob, I, I guess banks could also work for the linebacker position as well. Correct. 
coach there at Maryland. I mean, that's been a long time ago, but he, you know, it's not like he doesn't have experience doing that. So I think that gives him some flexibility just based on his resume. Yeah, lots of flexibility there for sure. Uh, the other thing that the Tennessee has a pretty good amount of is is money. <laughs> when you look at when you look at the contracts that were handed out, and we, we had those dollar figures. Um, of course, they've got to pay Jim Cheney for a year here for for you know for the the buyout there. They are quote of you know basically saving some money offensively, not paying as much money there. When you talk about uh, Golish and and Ellerby making seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a piece and and so they're not going to spend as much money on offense but defensively uh we don't know what rodney's number is going to look like that's obviously mitigated with some auburn salary in there but but a real financial commitment to tim banks when you're talking about making 1.3 the first year and it automatically ending up at 1.5 million um the, the last year pretty pretty significant trust in tim banks and pretty significant investment in, into him financially but less than I, what I they were going to go with house right yeah, it's less than what they will go than what they offered house, and you know, and right around what they offered house originally. Okay. You know, four point two they offered house four point three originally, before they bumped it to four point eight five. Um, you know, I, I think that's just kind of where they were. I mean, like the only way they were going to spend less than a million dollars on a coordinator was had they hired Josh Conklin, and I, they I don't think they were going to go that route. They did not, you know, like the perception of hiring Wofford's head coach. I think that's wrong. I think that the perception of Josh Conklin amongst Vol fans would have been just fine, but I, you know they got a guy that they that they they targeted one of the, one of the guys they targeted. It's not like the you know they they just ended up you know with one that they just had to take like Tim Banks or someone they actually you know you know went to and and went after. So um, you know I I think you know at the end of the day this thing it, it it's good. How good will it be? We won't know. Um, but you're right. I'm interested to see like what the deal is on Derek Ansley because Ansley just left. Like he didn't get fired. He never was given papers. He never was in the building. Like, are they going to owe him or did he just walk away from everything and say, I'm going to the NFL. Like that's to me something that like, I would like to, I'd be interested to find out. Cause again, he just left. He, he never was told he was fired. He never sat down with Josh Heupel. He never, anything. He was just gone. Yeah, that one feels like you don't owe him any money because he just took another job. And, and you know, the T thing is going to be interesting because his contract expired, but there was clearly some dialogue prior to the, to the expiration of that contract where T thinks he was entitled to some money. I asked some Tennessee people again on Monday where that was at, and I got told again, you know, they're still working on finalizing all of that, which I take to mean a translation. They're going to pay T. Martin some kind of money. Uh, in some facet, I don't know what that's going to be, but I mean, otherwise, what are you working on if it's if it's not just a clean break there? Uh, so we'll see what that what that ends up being or doesn't end end up being there. Um, but Is that, does that not surprise you though? I mean, if he did have a job, I could somewhat understand. But he got a job as the wide receivers coach in the NFL. Like to to pay to pay anything to me just seems wrong. I I, I just. I'm, I don't get it at all. I mean, again, I think, if he had nothing and, and he had the text messages saying you were going to offer me this, I, I can get it. But from a, I don't even get that from a guy that was fired. I mean, how are you bound as a university to, to honor that? I just, I mean, I, I don't get that at all. 
Yeah, I don't know what all the, I mean, I don't know what all, who all sent messages or who all he had messages from, but again, you know, there certainly seems to be some kind of conversations or, or, or trying to work to work to the resolution on that situation is how, now maybe they don't pay him anything, but um, I, you know, to, to me, it sounds like they're, they're working on something there. If, if that thing's not completely resolved at, at this point in time. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. I think those are two fascinating questions with the Derek Ansley situation. And obviously we're trying to be keeping track on, on the, on the T Martin situation. And again, do they come back at some point and have to pay uh, some potential buyout money with, with Jeremy Pruitt as well? I mean, I, I know that the chancellor's on record is saying absolutely no buyout, but does that, is that where it ends up, you know, that he's going to lose and not get any of the 12 million or do they settle something at some point? Uh, so plenty of loose ends to tie up with the previous staff and plenty of ends to tie up with the current staff as Josh Heupel looks to complete that on the defensive side of the ball uh, with Tim Banks now being hired as his defensive coordinator. And we'll see where that goes. Austin, it feels like they want to be done the end of the week uh, with, with the defensive staff. Yeah, I mean, I would venture to say they're going to – I think they'd love to be done by Wednesday morning. But I don't know how realistic that is unless you, you're, you're hiring Willie and, and Tim Banks knows who bring in the other two spots that, that that just feels like to me that you know thursday or friday would be the ideal you know time to do that yeah, and you, know, you know they'd love to trot them out at the second media timeout of, of the kentucky game on saturday afternoon yeah i don't think there's any doubt that they would want to do that much the way they they brought josh heupel out um at a basketball game as well speaking of basketball we'll get to recruiting here in just a minute but speaking of basketball rob Tennessee is going to try to play on Wednesday night at nine o'clock now instead of Tuesday against South Carolina as as the Volunteers are dealing with some protocol issues uh, re- regarding COVID. You believe this game is going to take place on Wednesday night? As of my conversation tonight with some people, I believe it's going to take place. Now there may be Tennessee may be down a, a couple players, maybe shorthanded, but I, from what I have been told about the contact tracing, they're going to have plenty of plenty of guys available. Yeah, they're not going to fall below the the required the, the SEC requirement. They're not going to be close. Yeah. Okay. So I've got a question. With As of now. So um, <laughs> I was going to say, Victor Bailey. Uh, do you think he'll be there on Wednesday night? Or do you Will think he he'll be? play? I mean, do I think he'll? Do you think he'll play, Rob? Yeah, I think he'll play. Oh, I mean, I'm not going to go down through the roster. But hurt, hurt, hurts the chances then for a win. I can't. He is a bad shot machine. He's yeah, well, he's getting a lot less opportunities to take bad shots. Rob, he threw one up there on uh, Saturday that looked like Ainge against LSU. Ironically, this game was against LSU. Let, let's talk about over his head. Let's talk about this team, Rob, a, a little bit about. Obviously, you know um, they have their moments of of good and they have their moments of bad. What what do you make where this team is on? On, on February the, the 15th, 16th, you know, with, with a few weeks of the regular season left before postseason play. I mean, are they just going to be, you know, kind of helter-skelter, Jekyll and Hyde all the way through? I mean, it feels like at this point there is no, quote, light bulb that's going to come on for them to be this consistent jug- juggernaut night in and night out. No. I mean, unless Fulkerson suddenly, you know, flips the switch, I, I don't see it happening. I mean, I think they're going to be a team that's capable of, you know, making a sweet 16 run and maybe even 
you know, winning winning that game on the second weekend, or they could get bounced in the first round by you know some team from a mid major. Uh, anything. It's like I told AP on the locker room Sunday night. It's like being married to a crazy beautiful woman. Some days are gonna are gonna be great, and others have the potential to be an absolute disaster. Jesus, I mean, and and Rick said it after the game on um Saturday. That it's you know what's going on right now is the worst feeling you can have as a head coach is when you just have no idea what you're gonna get from one, one game to the next. You know, the game starts and you're still wondering, man, do we have it today? And that's been the story of this thing. Every single time you think they've turned the corner, you know, they look they, they went three games in a row back early in SEC play, then they go and score 49 points at Florida. They destroy Kansas, then they go score 50 points at Ole Miss. They average 86 points a game against Georgia and Kentucky, and then they go down in LSU. And, you know, just to me, they lost by 13. I didn't feel like it was even that close. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. I mean, they were they never made a run in the second half. I mean, I, I thought LSU was at double digits. Felt like they were at double digits from what midway through the first half, and just kind of stayed there. I mean, it just there was never that that moment where you thought Tennessee was gonna gonna make that run or that run was in them. It just they just didn't have it. Here, here's a fascinating stat, and I'm, I'm I have not researched this exhaustively, but I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure that I'm correct. Tennessee's been favored in every game they played this year. By Vegas. You told me that on the locker room. That is a phenomenal stat. I know that you're exactly right. They were favored at LSU. I mean, the ones that you would wonder about, they were favored at LSU, they were favored at Florida, and they were favored at Missouri. And then everything else, you know, kind of type, even even matchup has been at home, and I'm sure they've been favored. So, by the way, if you listen to the VolQuest podcast for anything but movie references and or the analogies thrown out by any of us, I don't know what you're missing out on. (laughs) It, It is, I mean, it is crazy the love that this team has gotten um all the way through rob i mean you know i mean they they have they have gotten respect love from from commentators rankings vegas and everybody uh, yeah all the way through my question is this and and what's the bigger mystery to you on, on this team the fact that they've gone and had these stretches of games where they can't score they can't shoot it well enough from the perimeter you know they can't find points or the fact that they just match up so poorly against what I consider spread teams, those four-out, five-out teams that put the ball on the floor, their head down, and go straight to the rim against against Tennessee's defense. Oh, I mean, Javante Smart was licking his chops in the second half the other day. And to me, that's a little bit surprising to me when Tennessee does have the ability to go small. But I think you've got two weak links, and I think you saw it in the second half at LSU. And, and going forward, I don't know that you can play Victor Bailey and Muscovy together at the same time because of defensive purposes. Because, I mean, they're going to be, they're going to get, a, they're eventually going to get a swish that they like. And those guys are going to have to guard somebody and keep them out of the lane. And, I mean, Javante Smart ate them up on Saturday. And there's, there's a lot of guards in this league that are as good or better than him that will do the same thing. So I'm surprised that they have consistently gotten beat off the bounce like they have. I mean, games where they really struggled. You know, Alabama has a ton of good guards. Ole Miss has a couple of really good guards. And, you know, LSU had the ability to spread them out. So I I think that's been an Achilles heel. And, again, I'm a little surprised that it's been so bad when Rick does have the ability to put, you know, a small lineup out there with with Pons at the five, James or Keon at the four that that you would think would be able to match up with that. Yep. They've just not been able to keep it in front of them all year long Um, when – 
I go back to was it St. Joe's that really was the first team that started to drive it at the, at the rim in the second half, and it's like everybody has picked up on that and and has tried to do that all season long. Now some teams don't have the ability to do that, but the ones that have or that do have, have certainly capitalized on it big time uh, against this basketball team, who again is scheduled to play South Carolina coming up Wednesday night at nine o'clock. Schedule change there. We'll see where Tennessee's at in terms of who's available. Wednesday night, the volunteers will test again um, on later this afternoon on Tuesday, and then we'll test again on Wednesday uh, before the game on Wednesday night, uh, as well as a part of the SEC protocol. So we'll see what happens uh, w- with that moving forward in terms of who's available and who's not available. All right, let's talk a little recruiting here as we wrap up the podcast. Now that there's a defensive coordinator, Austin, everybody wants to know, Who does that benefit? How does that change things? It's obviously way too early to say that, but if you are Tim Banks, who are your first, who are your first calls to, to, to defensive prospects? Everybody's going to say Walter Nolan, but I I think Walter Nolan is going to be one that's going to be real far-fetched for Tennessee to land. My first call would be to Keaton Wade. Uh, He's the best player that's realistic in the state of Tennessee. He just put out a top nine. Tennessee wasn't in it. Although, we all know that Destin and Keaton Wade are going to go to the same school. Tennessee did make Destin Wade's top nine. So kind of how it was explained to me, if you made one, you're in it for both. So I, I think that, you know, the first call I would make would be to Keaton Wade. I'd make a call to the, to the young man, uh, Diarco Perkins, who Tennessee offered from Stratford, another good defensive player in the state. Um, you know, Miles Pollard uh, as, as a corner, uh, another guy that I think Tennessee should should look at. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, he, he needs to really just kind of work the relationships best he can. But I really wonder how much Tennessee will try to play up there in, in you know, northern states with, with his ties up there. Like, I mean, he's got, you know, several ties built in. Like, you know, will he try to get in on some of those northern kids that would like to come south that, you know, maybe don't want to go to or maybe aren't a take at Ohio State or a team team like that, you know, can he get you in on some solid players up in the north? I I think that that's something that at least I'm watching for early on. Yeah, and again, I think we're all kind of curious as to what exactly he's looking for in a player too in terms of what this defense is going to be. Um, Big Ten style of defenses, Rob, are different than SEC style of defenses in a lot of ways. So what kind of defense does – that those banks want to produce for, for Tennessee? Are they going to be a little lighter? Are they going to be a speedier defense? Is he going to be big? I mean, what, what, what's kind of the, the play he's going to have defensively and how does that affect their recruiting? That's going to be um, something hopefully we learn about more and more moving forward. And, and how does his philosophy change or does it change working with a, you know, offensive head coach that is going to play at the pace that, that Josh Heupel is. Yep. What, what do you what do you look like from that standpoint? All right, Austin, we can't we can't not have a a podcast without. I got it. nothing. I got nothing. You got nothing on on Ty Simpson. Head of the heart. Head of the heart. I mean, I mean, I mean that's the best way to look at it. The, you know, the, I mean, you know, the, I know Rob agrees with me on this. I mean, this, this it it really is the best way to look at this. Why is Tennessee still in the mix here? Because he genuinely loves Knoxville. genuinely loves Tennessee and he's given Josh Heupel and them a chance and they've done everything that they can possibly do to keep Tennessee in the mix. And, and they're, they're, it's daily contact. It's, you know, 
uh, Zoom calls. It's working as mom and dad. Uh, you know, he's he's picked up where Jeremy Pruitt left off, and he's recruiting him much like Jeremy Pruitt did, which is why Jeremy Pruitt and them were in such good position. Uh, Nick, Nick Saban's not going to talk to Ty Simpson every day. You know, Ty Simpson may talk to Bill O'Brien maybe every other day or every day or Brandon Streeter at Clemson or Tony Elliott at Clemson, but he's not going to talk to Dabo and to, uh, to Nick every day. It's just different, but he's talking to Heupel every day. That's got Tennessee back in it. They were dead in the water two weeks ago. Right now, they are very much in it. They're a legitimate chance and a legitimate shot to land Ty Simpson come next Friday, and the fact that this thing got postponed by a week only helps Tennessee's chances, in my opinion. Help it significantly, or you think that's a little bit – to me, it would feel like it would have been helped significantly if he had bumped it back multiple weeks. But bumping it back seven days certainly doesn't hurt. But how significant is the seven days? I think it's pretty significant because, again, I think that, you know, more phone calls, you know, just more time to bond. And, you know, uh, in my opinion, Ty is very – I've said this before. Ty is very calculating in what he does. Um, you know, there's been plenty of times where he and I have talked on the phone about stuff, and then we go into an interview mode, and like things totally change compared to what we just talked about. Like he, he he's very very smart about knowing how to handle himself, and that doesn't mean that he's lying. It just means he knows how to craft what he's trying to say and do it in a way that you know um, doesn't put anybody in a bad light, and so. Yeah. You know, he, he knows he knows what he's doing. Um, you know, I just – I feel like if Tennessee wasn't in the mix, I think that we would already know. I just – he knows – he knows the narrative that will that will get, you know, crafted out there by doing 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. He knows the narrative that will get crafted out there by making some of the comments he's made. Um, I think Tennessee has a legitimate chance to land him. Does that mean that it's a lock? No, absolutely not. But I do think that they have a much more realistic shot now than they ever did when Josh Heupel took over. I think he likes the staff better than he even thought he would when Josh Heupel and them took over. I think he took those first initial phone calls because he knew it was the right thing to do, but I don't think in his, the back of his mind he thought anything was going to materialize out of it, and something has. We'll see what happens with that a week from Friday. Obviously, the Tennessee basketball team is in action on Wednesday night, and we're chasing. I have one thing before we go. Yeah. Next, not to put too much pressure on Ty Simpson and his announcement, but next Friday will really kind of the the will kind of shape where things go with the in-state class. Because if Ty Simpson were to pick Tennessee, I think that every other kid in the state, including the ones that he's really close to are going to go, well, wait a minute. You know, because I think they're all expecting him to pick Alabama. Maybe some might be Clemson, but I think most of them expect him to pick Alabama. And so I think that his decision really shapes everything for Josh Heupel, fairly or unfairly, early on uh, next Friday. We'll see what that looks like, and we'll see what the rest of this – coaching staff looks like as well as Tennessee looks to close that out. That's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast. Be sure and check them out at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com or check them out on Twitter at bluehto underscore climate. For Rob Lewis and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.